Hi. Uh, the first reading tonight is from Luke, uh, chapter 4, from verse 1 through to 15, can be found on page 945 of the Church Bibles. Then Jesus returned from the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. Then Jesus returned to Galilee Galilee, in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being acclaimed by everyone. Tonight's second Bible reading is from Psalm 27 and can be found on page 498 of the Bibles. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart is not afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, still I am confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in, my shel- in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me on, hi- on a high rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will, suffer sacrifices- I will offer sacrifices in his tent and- with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. You are to seek my face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, keep your Bibles open at Psalm 27. I'll pray first. Uh, Father God, we pray that tonight uh, your word would do a powerful work in each one of us. We ask, Lord, for your spirit to be here, to take uh, these words, to 
implant them in our hearts and our minds. Lord, we don't want to leave this place unchanged. Uh, Please would you uh, encourage us, challenge us, comfort us, correct us. Uh, We beg that in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever had that experience when you're reading your Bible and there's a verse, the Lord just says, that verse is for you. You ever had that experience? You're reading your Bible and suddenly it's like, yep, that verse is my verse. I reckon Psalm 27, verse 4, is our verse. As I was reading Psalm 27, it's like that one verse, like the Lord was saying to me, that's the verse, Paul. Just look at it with me. Uh, One thing I ask, it says, I've asked one thing from the Lord. This is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Look at it again. One thing I've asked, Lord, this is my desire, Lord. I want to dwell in your house, Lord. I want to be close to you, Lord. I want to know you, Lord. I want to be with you, Lord. I want to gaze on your beauty, Lord. I want to understand more about you, Lord. I want to grasp just how majestic you are, God. I want to seek your face, Lord, to seek you in the temple, Lord. Lord, I I want to have this experience of you where I I ponder you and I get you and I understand you and I'm so intimate with you, Lord. That's my one desire, Lord. It's an amazing verse, isn't it? Lord, I want to know you. That's basically saying, Lord, I want to know you intimately. As I read Psalm 27, it's like God was saying to me, Paul, is that your one desire? Paul, is that the one thing you want this year? To know God and to know God better, to know God intimately, to dwell with God, to meet with God, to understand God, to gaze on God, to enjoy God. Is that your biggest desire, Paul? Let me ask you, is that your one thing? If you should ask God for one thing tonight, what would you ask him for? Better health? A better body? A better job? Bigger house? More money? More friends? Better marriage? A relationship? What would you ask him for? The challenge from Psalm 27 is that the one thing we should ask him for is that we would know God better, we'd know him better, we'd understand him more, we'd love him, we'd enjoy him, we'd know him intimately. It's a challenge, isn't it? Is that your one thing? To know God intimately this year? Uh, here's a man who I think understands Psalm 27 verse 4. The man on the left in this picture I don't know who that is. You've probably never heard of him. Uh, his name is Wang Mingdao. If you're in China tonight as a Christian, I bet you've heard of Wang Mingdao. He's inspired millions of Christians in China because this man is a pastor. But this man spent 23 years in prison for his faith. And his faith in Jesus, his strong trust in Jesus, has inspired millions of Chinese Christians. There's an American pastor who once met Wang Min Dao. And this American pastor said to him, look, I have deep respect for you. 
Wow, what faith. He said, but to be honest, I, I don't imagine I'll ever be in prison for my faith. So what can I learn from you? Here's what Wang said. He said to the pastor, when you go back home, how many books do you have to read this coming month? How many letters do you have to write? How many people do you have to see? How many sermons do you have to preach? This is my lesson for you. You need to build yourself a cell. When I was put in jail, I was utterly devastated. I was an evangelist, so I wanted to hold crusades over all of China. I was an author, I wanted to write books. I was a preacher, I wanted to study my Bible and write sermons. But in that cell, I had no Bible. In that cell, I had no pulpit, I had no audience, I had no pen, I had no paper. In that cell, I had nothing, and I could do nothing. Nothing, that is, except to get to know God better. Nothing, that is, except to meditate on God and to ponder God and to spend time with my God. And for 23 years, that was the greatest and most intimate relationship I've ever known. I was pushed into a jail cell so I could really get to know God intimately. So that's my lesson. Push yourself into a cell. Simplify your life. Simplify your life so you have time to really know God. Stop looking around and trying to fix everything and solve everything and fix your eyes on your God. Spend time with your God, meditate on your God, delight in your God and know your God intimately. I find that really quite profound. Because <laughs> I like a busy life. I like trying to fix things and I like writing sermons and I like pastoring people. I like keeping busy. But is all my busyness stopping me from spending time with my God? That might sound bizarre for a pastor to say that. Is all my busyness stopping me spending time getting to know my God intimately? I don't know who that other man up there is. J.I. Packer. Who said that? Thanks, Jackson. Jim Packer, he has written over 300 Christian books. You might have heard of Knowing God or Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He's impacted millions of Christians across the world. What you might not know about Jim Packer is that he's now 89 He's got a disease called macular degeneration. It basically means he's going blind. He was interviewed last week and he basically said, I I'll never write another book. And I find it really hard to see my Bible. But rather than being paralyzed by fear or self-pity, here's what Jim Packer said about his disease. I quote, God knows what he's doing. And this disease is from him. I've had enough experiences of God's goodness in all sorts of ways not to have any doubt about the present circumstances. Some good, something for God's glory is going to come out of this. In positive terms, already, it is a simple joy of spending more time with my God. Those moments when he gives you special delight and a deep sense of his peace and a pleasure in being his child. You know, I spent decades meditating on and memorizing God's word. 
So God's word, those truths are rooted deeply in my mind and in my heart. I don't need to see. I can just spend time meditating on those scriptures and getting to know my God better. I think he's a man who understands Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing I desire, one thing from the Lord is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Is that your one thing? Is that what you dream about, to, to know God better, to enjoy that intimacy with God? I love the word beauty in verse for to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Where, where do you see beauty? You see, you see beauty, don't you, in creation. You see beauty in a, a, a delicate orchid or a rugged, rugged mountain. That is beautiful. And so you can see beauty. And, you know, you can hear beauty. I love classical music. You know when you go to a symphony and... It just sounds beautiful. So you can see beauty and you can hear beauty, but you, you can also feel beauty, can't you? You know, the, the touch of another human being, and it brings you this sense of warmth and peace. It feels beautiful. Now you see beauty, you hear beauty, you feel beauty, you taste beauty. And the psalmist is saying in this verse, Lord, I I want to gaze at your beauty. I want to see and feel and taste and touch just how wonderful you are, Lord. Lord. Lord, my desire is to marvel at your goodness and your power and your faithfulness and your justice and your mercy and your kindness and your grace, Lord. Lord, I want to see you. Lord, I want to know you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, oh, but Paul, this all sounds really quite hard. If if you knew how difficult my life was, you wouldn't just tell me just to know God better. If you knew how disappointed I was with God or how distant I felt from God, then you wouldn't preach this sermon, Paul. I hate to be blunt, but if you think your life is tough... It is nothing compared to the man who wrote this psalm. Do you see the language in verse 2? Evildoers come against me to devour my flesh. Verse 3, an army deploys against me. Verse 3 again, a war breaks out against me. Verse 12, false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. This is not a a cozy Christian in, in a Christian bubble. This is a man who is facing attack from his closest friends at war with his neighboring nations. He's tempted by sin and selfish desires. He's not immune to suffering and trials and tragedies. But this is a man who who doesn't cry out for justice. He doesn't cry out for revenge. He doesn't whinge. He doesn't complain because he knows God. And he knows his God is gracious. His God is kind. And he runs to God. He seeks God. He wants to spend time with his God. He wants to gaze on God. He wants to know God. And my challenge for you is really simple. Is that your one thing for this year? Just to know God in that intimate way again. I don't know, maybe you're here tonight and as I'm speaking you're thinking, oh yeah, I remember that time when I knew God like that. I remember that time when, you know, 
I used to read my Bible and it's like every verse, like, wow, God, you're so good. And I underlined my Bible and I highlighted my Bible and I love my prayer time and I love church. But that was then. And that seems such a long time ago. But today it's just all going through the motions. There's no real relationship anymore. If that is you tonight, if that is you tonight, I'm praying that this sermon would remind you what it means to know God. And you'd leave here changed. So what does it mean to, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to, to seek God in his temple? I've got four things tonight. Here's the first one. It's about knowing the security and the safety and the strength of your God. If you're going to seek him and gaze on him, it means that you know deep in your being how strong God is and how good God is and what a strength he is and what a refuge he is. That's verses 1 and 2, isn't it? Look at verse 1. The Lord is my light and the Lord is my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? When the psalmist is talking about fear there in verse 1, I don't think he's talking about you know, irrational fears like fear of spiders or fear of the dentist or fear of needles. I think he's just talking about the everyday fears that you and I go through. If the psalmist was here tonight, he might say, you know, I, I'm fearful of disease and I'm fearful of sickness and I'm fearful of losing my job and I'm fearful of a calamity or a tragedy and I'm fearful of certain people and I'm fearful of being misunderstood. I'm fearful of being criticized. I'm fearful of being mistreated. I'm fearful of being rejected. I'm just fearful of life. And the thing about fear is that it paralyzes you and it shakes you unless you know who to run to. But if you know God, then there is no fear. If you've understood who God is, then you don't fear like the rest of the world does. How can I say that? Because of verse 1, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. And the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Is that how you know God? Do you know him like that? Can you say the Lord is my light? Not just the light of the world, but, but your light. When the Bible uses that word light, it uses it in two different ways. I'm not sure which, which way the psalmist means it. It's used of you know, the sun. The sun that, that illuminates everything, that, that illuminates the darkness, that brings warmth into a dark world. Do you know God like that? That brings warmth into your dark world? And the second way the, 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 the Bible uses the word light is a, like a tea light candle. Uh, gone, gone are the, the, before the days of uh, electric lights. And they had a, you had a tea light candle that you'd hold in your hand. And you couldn't see the path ahead, but you could just see the next step. Is there a God like that? He gives you light just to get through the next day. Can you sit here tonight and say, the Lord is my light. He illuminates the darkness. He, he shows me the way to live. Can you say the Lord is your salvation, verse 1? I was thinking this week, we talk about God as being our saviour. We just say it so flippantly, don't we? Oh, God's my saviour. Jesus didn't just save you from sin. 
He did do that. And he saved you from the penalty of sin. He saved you from the power of sin. He saved you from the presence of sin. You can sit here tonight as a forgiven sinner. But it's more than that. For God to be your salvation, it basically means he gives you victory. You have victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. He is your salvation. And when you know God like that, whom should you fear? Do you know God, verse 1, is the stronghold of your life? That's my favorite one. The Lord is a stronghold of my life. The word literally means the, the, the bomb shelter of my life. I want to picture, come back in time to World War II. Imagine you lived through World War II. You know, it's a Friday night, it's 8 o'clock at night, and you're sitting down and you're having your dinner, and suddenly the air raid alarms go off, and you hear the planes flying over, and they're about to drop all the bombs. And then you're walking down these steps, and you're walking down into this concrete underground bomb shelter. Now, how are you feeling as you walk down to that bomb shelter? Tell me, how do you feel at that point? You're scared, but you're, you're safe. You're in the shelter. And you can hear the bombs dropping, but they can't get you, can they? Because you're safe. You're in the shelter. That's what God promises for you. He's your bomb shelter. He's the person who holds on to you. He's your security. He's your safety net. You've got nothing to be afraid of. Now, God is stronger than anything in this world. God is stronger than anybody in this world. And if you run to him, if you seek him, if you gaze on him, if you know him, you have nothing to be afraid of, do you? He's the stronghold of your life. I love this poem from a book called Shelter in the Time of Storm. It's just called Safe. I am safe. Not because I have no trouble or because I I never experience danger. I am safe. Not because people affirm me or my plans always work out. I am safe. Not because I'm immune from disease or free from the potential of poverty. I am safe. Not because I'm protected from disappointment or separated from this fallen world. I am safe. Not because I am wise and I am strong. I am safe, not because I deserve comfort or have earned my ease. I'm safe, not because of money or power or position or intellect or who I know or where I live. No, I am safe because of the glorious mystery of grace. I am safe because of the presence of boundless love. I am safe because of divine mercy, divine wisdom, divine power and divine grace. I'm safe. Not because I never face danger, or, but because you are with, with me in the danger. You have not given me a ticket out of danger. You have not promised me an, a life of ease. You've chosen to place me in a fallen world. But I am safe. Because you've given me the one thing that is the one thing that will ever keep me, keep me safe. You have given me you. Can you say that about God? You're safe because of him. If you can, then you'll say verse 5. Verse five. 
if you know God like that, your light, your salvation, your stronghold, then you could say, verse 5, with the psalmist, he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. When troubles come, when trials come, when heartache comes, you know that God will conceal you in his shelter, in his bomb shelter, under the shadow of his wing. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. That God will conceal and protect and cover and keep me. I don't know what troubles and trials will come your way this year. I don't know what disappointments. I don't know what diseases, but I do know this. If you run to people, they'll let you down. Run to food, you get fat. Run to technology, you get distracted and bored. Run to God, run to him, and you're safe, and you're secure. See, the more you gaze on the beauty of the Lord, the more secure you feel. And you don't live life in fear. So know the security of the Lord. Number two. Seek the face of the Lord. Seek his face. Look at verse seven. Lord. Hear my voice when I call. Do you ever say that, Lord, hear my voice when I call? Do you ever stop and think, why would God hear my voice? Why would God listen to me? Why would the the God of the universe bother to listen to my requests? Isn't it amazing that God would ever bother to listen to you, let alone answer you? Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious. That's the answer. God is very gracious. He graciously hears us. He graciously answers us. Verse 8, my heart says this about you. You're to seek my face. Lord, I will seek your face. It's like that, 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 that uh, deliberate intent. Lord, I'm going to look to you this year. I'm going to seek your face. Whatever comes, whatever distractions, whatever disappointments, whatever diseases, Lord, I, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to gaze at you. I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to seek you, Lord. Now, how do you do that? Practically, how do you seek the face of the Lord this year? It's not rocket science. There's nothing new, is there? What what do you do to seek the face of the Lord? You've got the word, haven't you? You've got the word of God. Jim Packer. he, He doesn't have his eyes to read the Bible today, but... The scriptures are here, aren't they? He's meditated on the word. He's, he's spent a lifetime memorizing the scriptures and, and soaking himself in the word of God. I'd love to go home and just look at, look at our Bibles. See how well thumbed they are. See how much underlining there is or highlighting there is or how much journaling there is, or, or, or in our hearts, in our minds, how much we've memorized as we walk along the streets. Oh, yeah, that's right. 1 Thessalonians 5, be thankful in all circumstances. Are you a person who seeks God's face because you love the Word? You, you love to know Him because you spend time in the Word. Are you a person who seeks God's face because you talk to Him? Think of Wang, or think of Jim Packer again, in his cell. He had no Bible. He had no church. But what did he have? 
He had prayer, didn't he? And no matter where he was, he could still talk to God. No matter where you are, you can still talk to your God. So how's your prayer life? I'm not asking whether you spend half an hour in the mornings on your knees working through a prayer journal. I'm talking about your, your every minute of every day. You, you, you're talking to God. You're bouncing off God. Now, in your diary, you're about to walk into that difficult meeting. You're saying, Lord, help me. Help me to be godly. Help me not to retaliate. Uh, you're about to meet that really difficult person. That you, you've got to say some hard things. You say, Lord, help me, please. I need your help. As you see that person begging on the street, do you pray for them? As you're about to witness to a family member or affairs, do you pray about that? Are you a person whose whole life is soaked in prayer? That's what it means to seek the face of the Lord. You love the word of the Lord. You love talking to God. And you love to worship God. I was at the SCG last night watching the Big Bash. I took my... 10-year-old son. He loves cricket. I hate cricket. I, I loathe cricket. But it was amazing. What was so amazing about it was that you have 35,000 people and they are cheering and they are celebrating and they're waving these pink things in the air. And I'm sitting there thinking, these people, you know, they're worshipping cricket. And you can tell they love cricket. They're just so animated about it. And then we come here to church. And we're worshipping our God. If only we could capture some of that joy and some of that animation and some of that just, I want to be here, I want to shout your praises, God. That's what the psalmist does, isn't it? Verse 6. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. We don't offer sacrifices here, do we? I hope you know that. We don't come to church to offer a sacrifice, do we? Why don't you bring a sacrifice to church tonight? Because Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus paid it all. He is the once for all, sufficient, perfect sacrifice for sin. We don't come here to offer sacrifices, but we do come here to offer our worship with shouts of joy and to sing and make music to the Lord. How can we stand here and, and see words on the screen like, this is amazing grace. I not want to shout about how amazing that is. That God should love you. Undeserved love. There are times in my walk with the Lord, you know, when I feel distant or I don't feel like worshipping God. I don't feel that joy. And I come to church. And there's nothing like standing in a, in a group of Christians who are worshipping God with joy in their heart just to remind you of those simple truths about how amazing God is. We need that, don't we? We need each other, don't we? Now, people should walk into this church and go, wow, these people really, really love their God. And I love how, how human the psalmist is. Down in verse 9, he says, Don't hide your face from me, God. Please don't turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Don't leave me. Don't abandon me 
God of my salvation. Either, even if my mother and my father abandon me, God, the Lord will care for me. Why, why do you think he says, don't hide your face from me? I think he says it because, like you and I, he probably has those moments in his life or periods in his life or whole years in his life where he feels as though God is distant or God is hiding. Ever had that experience? You feel like God is so far away from you and God can't see you and God doesn't care about you. Well, here's the truth of the Bible. God doesn't hide from you. How can the God who sees everything and knows everything hide from you? The reality is that often it's us trying to hide from God because we feel guilty about stuff or that, that sin that's dragged us down or we just, we just want to do our own thing so we want to just try to avoid his, his gaze. Now think back to Genesis chapter 3. Remember when Adam and Eve first sinned and they're in the garden and up until that point they've been enjoying this intimacy with God. And what's the first thing that happens after they sin? They think they can hide from God. How stupid that is to think that we can hide from the God who sees everything. We don't need to say, don't hide your face from me, God, because he never hides his face from us. He never leaves us. He never abandons us. He's always there for us. He always cares for us. You've got to believe that. When we seek his face, we don't have to twist his arm. He's a God who knows us and loves us. If you want to gaze on his beauty this year, know his security, seek his face. Number three, learn his ways. Learn the ways of the Lord. I was really rebuked by verse 11 because it exposed the, the selfishness of my prayer life. See what the psalmist prays in verse 11? Because of my adversaries, Show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. And so often I find myself praying, Lord, give me my way, Lord. Give me what I want, Lord. Actually, I don't often say please. I just say, give me my way. And the psalmist says, Lord, show me your way. Teach me your way. And that's what happens when you... Your one thing is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. You, you want to know God's ways and you want to know God's will for your life and you want to know God's dreams and desires for your life. You want to understand what makes him happy. You want to walk in his footsteps. Isn't that how a relationship works? The more you know someone, the more intimate you are with somebody, the more you want to please them. So why don't, why don't we pray, show me your way, Lord? I think we often don't pray because sometimes we're really quite arrogant. I, I used to teach, you know, I used to teach maths and you'd come across these students who thought they knew it all. You know, they, they, they'd done HSC maths, they'd done first year university. Oh, I know all this, I know about maths. I think sometimes we, we, we think that about God, don't we? we? We know God's way, we know what the word says, we've read the Bible, we've been at church. I know your way, God. It's pretty arrogant, isn't it? But to humbly say, Lord, show me, what, show me what you want me to do in this situation. Show me how to act. Show me how to respond. Show me the right answer here. Lord, show me your ways. Just humble yourself before God, will you? 
think sometimes we're arrogant, and I think sometimes we are just totally naive. Because here's the reality, from the, the moment that you woke up this morning to the moment you go to bed tonight, you'll have been bombarded by a thousand voices telling you the way to live. Do this. Think this. Look like this. Eat this. And then you'll be happy, and then you'll be satisfied, and then you'll be content. And it's the ways of the world. And you're bombarded by the ways of the world, and most of it is utter garbage and totally godless. But instead of praying, Lord, in this godless world, show me your way. Show me the narrow path. Help me to walk in your ways. Instead of praying that, we just naively allow our our minds and our wills to be shaped by the world too much. Uh, And my challenge is to pray, verse 11, humbly each morning, show me your way today, God. I want to walk in your path today. Uh, Verse 11, he doesn't say, lead me on a comfortable path. He doesn't say, lead me on the shortest path. He just says, lead me on a level path. Lord, I just want to stick to the narrow way. So my challenge is, you know, if you're going to seek his face, if you're going to gaze on his beauty, is to, to humbly be a student. You never stop learning, do you? You never stop learning what pleases the Lord. And my last point tonight is this. You've got to know his security. You've got to seek his face. You've got to learn his ways. And then wait. Wait on his promises. See, on this side of eternity, we're just called to believe, to trust, and to wait. Look at verse 13. I'm confident, I'm certain that I, I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. A bit like Jim Packer, you know, I've experienced enough of the goodness of God to know that there will be some good in this situation. So verse 14, wait. Wait for the Lord, be strong and courageous, Wait for the Lord. It's such a beautiful biblical principle. We're called to be people who wait. Because God in his wisdom does not give you what you want right here, right now. This is not heaven. We're called to wait for heaven. We don't see him in all his beauty now, but we will do then. But until that day, we're waiting, aren't we? I love this quote. Waiting is not just about what you are hoping for at the end of the wait. It's about what you will become as you wait. You know, we're hoping for the end. We're hoping for heaven. We're hoping for that final chapter where there's no sin, there's no sickness, there's no tragedy, there's no trial. We're hoping and we're waiting for that. But as we wait, what is God doing in you? He's changing you. He's transforming you. I'm useless at waiting. I was at the doctor's two weeks ago and my appointment was at, was at 10 o'clock and you know, it's five past 10. I was like, oh, come on. 10 past 10, oh, for goodness sake. Quarter past 10, 20 past 10. You're thinking, oh my goodness. How much longer do I have to wait? And I get so frustrated at waiting. Uh, what do you do when you wait? I'm sitting there and I'm flicking through Facebook and I'm flicking through my emails and I'm reading trashy magazines and I'm just wasting time. Please don't waste your time as you wait. 
When God asks you to wait, please don't waste your time. As you wait, what, what can you do? You can gaze on him. You can understand him. You can ponder him. You can pray to him. You can meditate on the word. You can worship him. You can prepare yourself for glory. Now, I'm so thankful that God often makes me wait. Because as I wait, I find that he does a good work in me, changing me and transforming me and chipping away at all the ugly things and and getting rid of that particular sin and, and teaching me to cast my anxiety onto him and answering my doubts and dealing with my discouragements. And he's just refining me as I wait. And as I wait, he just reminds me that he is good and heaven is a reality and Jesus is real and I am a forgiven sinner and there's nothing more precious in this world than knowing him. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him intimately. So I'll ask you again, what's your one thing this year? What's your one thing? To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of your life, to to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek Him, to seek Him in the temple. Can you say that? I hope you can. We're about to move into a time of open prayer where I invite everyone here, just or anyone here, just to, to stand and to, to raise your voice and to call out to God and to plead with Him. But I, I, I'll kick us off. But before we do that, I want to give you time to, to ponder again that, that, that psalm. So we're gonna, just going to listen to Psalm 27 being sung just for a couple of minutes. So close your eyes to ponder God and to seek his face. And then, and then we'll pray together. I'll kick us off and then over to you.
Father, we want to be a people who really know you intimately, who understand your character. Uh, Give us minds to understand you. Uh, Give us a desire to meditate on the scriptures, to memorize your word. Make us a people who love to cry out to you, who to talk to you, to seek your guidance, to seek your will. Make us a church people, uh, uh, Lord, of people who are are so fixated by you that we just want to know you better and better and better. So please do that amazing work in this church and in these people tonight. In Jesus' name.